Hello and welcome to a special episode of the Fabulous Pelton Cast. I'm your co-host, Kevin Pelton. And I'm Tristan Carcino. And we're here to recap the year in music 2022, one of our favorite annual traditions, one of our two traditional year-end pods, as we uh, go over top songs of the year and get perspective on trends in music from someone who is in the industry. How is this our 10th year doing this? I mean, it has been inclusive. It It's 10 years because we did our first one in 2013. Okay. But obviously the Pelton cast Dark Ages are in there. <laughs> Dark Did we release top 10 songs of the year for the intervening years? I think we might have. So we might have 10, 10 years of top 10 songs of the year from May. You you have gone away from that format. It's a tough format. I, I don't really like it. It's actually kind of hilarious because what? Well, you know how long ago the first time we did the year music year interview was how long Ciara was on it yeah and yeah. she was not married to russell wilson was was still with future at the time i believe it's really funny because as we're right before we recorded this i've been listening to uh my ipod in the car which i stopped updating in the year 2012 the children fucking love listening to the ipod it is one of their favorite things it's like a it's a pretty like built up ipod right of like the best songs like 1960 through 2012 so i get why but i have on there the pitchfork top 100 songs of the year i literally didn't even look at the list this year it was like back in the day that was an exciting moment for me to look at that list and that's kind of how much times have changed but so we're listening to the top 10 songs of the year and you'll go through it and then it and it's like number two is like ema all right whatever artist have you ever heard of her no literally just like gone to the sands of time so many artists that are at the very 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 top even feel it all around by washed out the children are just like what is this and i'm like it's the theme to portlandia and they're like what's portlandia and i'm like okay <laughs> but these children of course none of whom were born well the one was born in 2012 but oh then... but culturally the five-year-old the amount of pop songs that he is able to guess from the top hundred or whatever he's like this is rude boy by rihanna instantly or whatever but like you look at it and the pop songs that are mixed into that top hundred still like they feel as relevant now as they did at the time. Whereas the indie rock songs, for the most part, I'm like, I'm like, this is two weeks by Grizzly Bear. Jay-Z said he was a fan of theirs 10 years ago <laughs> or whatever. And they're just like, shut the fuck up, dad. I guess we didn't do top tens in 2013. We just reviewed the Pitchfork top 10. But so. it's it's kind of incredible how in the moment, it can feel like these songs that are maybe more indie or they're the vital tracks or whatever. And over time, people remember Drake and DJ Khaled. I would say plausibly two of the top 10 top songs of uh, 2013 have subsequently been canceled. Oh, so. that was the other thing. Number one was Ariel Pink. I was like, I was like, this artist was canceled for storming the Capitol. And number two was Runaway by Kanye West. Yeah. yeah Kanye also placed number two Arcade in 2013. Fire, uh, clocking into the top ten as well. Correct. Don't rank things, people. <laughs> <laughs> Never rank. 
which of course is why I'm going to do it later in this very podcast. There we go. Oh boy. We'll hope it goes better. Uh, you wanted to talk about a few big picture trends and the number one trend we had to talk about, obviously, because well, I, I, I know that we've talked about it on this spot. getting into that trend, I just want to say some general thoughts on the year. 2022, obviously, we're a couple of years removed from COVID shutting down the music industry. And I, I think to me, the most overwhelming, as we get into these trends, to me, the most overwhelming thing about 2022 in music is how normal it felt. And how the ripple effects of the COVID shutdown and 2020 it in the moment, it felt like it was such a momentous occasion. It was like, this is going to change everything. Everything is going to be different coming out of COVID. And now that we're two years from the onset COVID shutdown, we're nearing two years of we're, COVID shutdowns. We're nearing three years from the onset. From the onset of, but it was like March, 2020. Right? Yeah, so in, in two, March 2023, it's going to be three years. Holy shit. What a time. Yeah, yeah. But by, by the time that we've reached December 2022, I think the thing that's most overwhelming for me as I look back on this year is that things mostly feel normal. Like, I don't feel like the music industry in general, maybe for worse, for better or for worse, has changed all that much. I think the processes that happened, the industry at large, it came back... Some people were in different places. Some things look slightly different. But for the most part, pop music was still pop music. Bands were still touring. Labels were still labels. Labels were still giving out the same kind of cash that they were beforehand. Like the trends that we're going to talk about are maybe some of the differences that were highlighted by 2022. But ultimately, the industry at large did not look that dissimilar in 2022 than it did in 2018 or 19. Yeah, these are trends that are probably things that have been ongoing in the industry. You know, there's there's always trends and changes in the industry, but it's not a monumental shift like you might have expected at first when everyone was tuning in every night to hear Ben Gibbard play at home. Oh, I love those moments when we sat by the Ben Gibbard fireside chats, every single person. So, uh, we, so we never really talked about the song of the summer on this podcast, which is something that we often like to do, have maybe gotten away from in recent years. And the song of the summer, in my opinion, was naturally a song that was released in 1985. Do you agree? Uh, yeah, I think I agree with that. There were, there were a lot of them, but I, I will say more, more so than any, I think that Kate Bush dominated the summer. Running up that hill, fresh off its placement in Stranger Things becoming a song that you couldn't go anywhere without hearing again 27 years or 37 years 37 years now i'm the one with bad mouth on the fly uh after its release i i almost don't even know what to say about it like unprecedented is what it feels like and the thing that's wild about this is obviously for a large portion had you heard this track before this summer oh yeah Okay. I mean, I don't know what I, if I could tell you when the last time was before this summer that I had heard it, but I, I mean, it was that I think part of its success was there was like a degree of familiarity. I mean, you could say the same thing about the Fleetwood Mac song that went, whichever one it was that went Dreams. viral on TikTok a couple of years ago. It was different though. This was different than Dreams. I, I Dreams agree that it was different from that. Pop radio fixture. Yes. And, and I think that's the difference is you listen to pop radio 
and it's Beyonce, Jack Harlow, Kate Bush. Like, that to me was... I mean, this became a bigger hit than it was in the 1980s. I mean, I think Dream's... uh, Probably not when you look at the record sales rumors, but like... (laughs) Rumors, famously a popular album. (laughs) Famously high selling. But I, I just completely unprecedented. But I do think you're right, though, that the familiarity beforehand. And so for people who were highly familiar with Kate Bush, I think it was it was kind of a strange moment where it's it's like we're far enough removed. Like I probably learned about Kate Bush in 2006 or seven or something for the first time ever. And I was just like, holy shit. Like, what is this? Right. And so having that moment, I'd already gone through it all with Kate Bush. I had already had that experience, but I think that it is far enough removed that the resentment that sometimes you feel about liking something that's slightly underground. I'm not going to say that Kate Bush is like an underground artist. She's still an international pop star. But the feeling that you feel of liking something that is slight, slightly, slight Thomas Rawls style underground, and then everybody falling in love with it, I don't think that we quite had in the same way because overwhelmingly it was just like, this is incredible that all these kids have discovered really fucking good music. I mean, you alluded, you know, earlier to the music that your children listen to and enjoy. And I think it's fascinating, like the ways that they discover music. Uh, the example that I always use is your oldest son, baby fantasy genius. A couple of years ago was like listening to 93 till infinity. And uh-huh. A song that came back for me, I think, with uh, Always Be My Maybe when when that was on Netflix. But he, you know, trying to figure out how he learned about this song that was released uh, 19 years before he was born. And it turned out it was like an NBA 2K soundtrack song. Uh, I mean, that that's the other thing is I, I think it, it was two. It was a two perfect moments at the same time that happened, which were great song. Nothing really can compare to an incredible sync. That is like, it's the best thing that can possibly happen to an artist is a perfect sync, right? I mean, I mentioned straight up, Feel It All Around. Is it the biggest washed out song? No, it is the theme to Portlandia. I mean, it was always the archetypal uh, chill wave song, though, wasn't it? That's what I told the children. I was was like, this is the biggest chill wave song of all time. But like, it makes me, you you just play that song. I think of the blog Hipster Runoff. A lot of chill wave artists, at the very least, have become more successful than washed out, have lasted longer. But nothing will last longer than being the theme to Portlandia. A good sync is the most important thing that you could possibly have in the music industry. Yeah. I mean, I, I was going to reference this later in the pod. One of your underground artists from last year... Uh, in the Taco Bell commercial this year. Oh, I don't know if I called Turnstile Underground last year, but sure. The non-mainstream top ten. Okay, I mean but that turn... I I like that song way more. Somehow I like it way more in the Taco Bell commercial than on its own. I don't ask me to explain that logic. I tried to tell you for like a fucking year or whatever. All it took little, was a Taco Bell commercial. A little too hard for me on its own. In the Taco Bell commercial. Too hard for you. Oh my god. Tell me you went to see the national this summer without (laughs) telling me you went to see the national this summer. Uh anyway. I mean you saw it also, right? I ain't worried. Like 
that being in Top Gun Maverick catapulted it to being one of the biggest pop songs also. I think they thought that there was a different song from Top Gun Maverick that was going to be big, but that was the that was the track that ended up being like the big pop radio single. But for Kate Bush, I think it was the combination of having a great sync is the most important. I mean, it's it's the centerpiece of the season, more or less, in Stranger Things. An important show, an important show for the exact right age range of kids to make a song go off. But also, this it would have been a big song a decade ago because of Stranger Things. Having that coupled with TikTok at the same time. And the ability for a song to go from hot or a big sync or whatever to absolutely fucking massive overnight. And I think having those two things happen in conjunction with each other are what push the song way over the edge. Radio stations, Spotify, everybody within the industry is looking to TikTok as what is guiding, and I think I talked about this last year, is what is guiding popular music direction that that's where songs are becoming huge songs are going i mean there's an artist called kafune that had a tiktok hit that all of a sudden is on rock radio on pop radio tiny artist beforehand and to be able to have that happen it's been the first platform that was not spotify that is pointed back to spotify and created actual success uh, Hold My Hand by Lady Gaga was, I think, supposed to be the big hit from the Top Gun Maverick soundtrack, right? I, I think that's the one that they positioned to be or, like. Yeah, it's, the it's over the closing credits. Yeah. And and that one didn't, it didn't take off in the same way. But so, I mean, it's obviously like a combination of opportunity with the sync and then uh, just being a good track also. I couldn't tell you anything about Hold My Hand by Lady Gaga. <laughs> did not, did not connect. In quite the same way that uh, okay. everyone was thinking. Okay, here's a thought that I had, though. I, I wish that I'd had more time to think about this, because what do you think is the modern version of Running Up the Hill? Like, what is the song that compares song to it, or that in 25, the 35 years that people are going to come back to? Maybe maybe it's a... I, I mean, I have a track in mind that's about a decade old. And so... I'm like 25 years from now, this song is going to be the song that ends. It was a big deal at the time. It's a popular song, but it's still not, it's not a, a pop radio song. And I have the song in mind. Now you go, you clearly have something. I wish that I'd it. had time to brainstorm a few more, but to me, dancing on my own by Robin is like, it is the exact perfect. You didn't give me a like, Oh Yes. <laughs> I thought you were gonna give me a like yes. You trying to think it. about that song. Dancing on my okay, so it's like a deck. We're a decade removed from it. It was a big song, but again, it wasn't like overwhelming pop radio. It's not like still in the zeitgeist in the same way. But people who care about music still deeply care about that song, and it is an excellent song. I mean, I think the other interesting thing about this is like, obviously we see songs come back, but usually what happens is it's like a cover of it. To have the original song itself be the one that came back is pretty wild. And, and we also saw on a, on a minor scale, it didn't happen in the same way for as Kate Bush, but Master of Puppets by Metallica as well. I don't feel like, what, what was the context for that? Stranger Things also. Oh, okay. 
There you go. It, it, it was the central part of, and I think you know, Metallica headlined Lollapalooza this summer. They announced a tour for 2024. <laughs> recently go ahead and clear my schedule for 2024 i i do think a little bit it was an aggressive tour that they announced you know they're doing two stadium nights in seattle right and i think a little part of it a little part of them being maybe slightly more aggressive than they would have otherwise is because of the steam from stranger things that makes sense it didn't it didn't quite have the like and, and i think that's the tiktok piece this master of puppets and and it wasn't as central it's not like it was played over and over and over again you would never watch Stranger Things, of course. So, you told me it was not a show for me. I it still is not a show. Direct quote. But the you're a little bit more of a welcome to Wrexham type energy. Um, Extremely Bowers popular show from Ted Lasso is in your top ten. Um, <laughs> but I mean, I mean, I did have Celeste in my top ten last year, in part on the strength of her song that was in Ted Lasso the year before. But Kate Bush is so prominently featured over and over and over again in Stranger Things. Master of Puppets is just one song. But it didn't have the TikTok to propel it forward in that same way. So it wasn't all artists from the 1980s or whatever decade you want to categorize Metallica as being from over the length That's of their... Also from the 1980s. The show is crew. set in the 1980s. I really right, that... have to know something about Stranger Things. Okay. I do know that. I, I didn't put that context together as, as being the reason for this. Uh there were big pop albums that came out this year. Harry Styles, Taylor Swift, Beyonce, releasing three of the most anticipated pop albums that, you know, completely dominated Spotify and and the social media when they first came out. And to me, I, I had this thought over the summer and then was only reinforced by it with the Taylor Swift record. As far as singles go, I feel like this might be too far. I feel like we might have had one of the best runs of really, really big artists releasing really, really good songs, if that makes sense. It does. I mean, I feel like there's a, a certain degree to which the music industry has kind of dialed in what's going to work. I mean, obviously, there have always been big artists releasing really big songs. And we didn't necessarily see that same effect, by the way, with the Drake album that came out this year. We'll the that. weekend, the weekend also released an album, although the the biggest song from that, "Take My Breath," was a single in 2021. So, and, and not at the same level. But I'm saying, as it was, "Anti-Hero," "Bad Habit" by Steve Lacey, "Break My Soul." That's what I want by Lil Nas X. "Glamorous" by Jack Harlow. I'll throw it in there or whatever. I feel like the quality of pop music this summer was at an extraordinarily high level. And to have those artists like, I mean, Steve Lacey becoming a bona fide pop star, that is one to me. That's more shocking to me than Kate Bush coming back 25 years later, right? Steve Lacey was somebody who we known through the internet and then Dark Red came out a handful of years ago. But it wasn't like, at any point, I thought to myself, oh, Steve Lacey is going to become one of the biggest pop stars in the entire world. Inconceivable to me to have that happen. And to take that and with Harry Styles releasing a like Strokes inspired, right? Mainstream pop single that fucking rips. If we hadn't heard it a billion times, we'd be like, what is this? 
uh, to break my soul, right? And the like history defining piece of it, or even Taylor Swift and Antihero, where you hear it and you're just like, God damn it. Like, I just, I, maybe the record as a whole is not amazing, but that track, Taylor just fucking nailed it. Well, we'll we'll come back to that the the album as a whole later in this pod, I think. I, I think we're at a little tiny bit of a golden age for pop music. In the same way that Lil Nas X, who I I wouldn't the record again came out in twenty twenty one, but I wouldn't necessarily describe as a hip hop artist beforehand, uh, but paired with the lead singer of One Republic to write that's what I want, and that song becoming a massive pop hit this summer like i think it was sort of like this is where pop music is going and it sort of pushes up against another point that i wanted to bring up that we'll get to in a second here but i do think it's almost not in opposition but in replacement of what was mainstream pop music dominated by hip-hop for probably the last two decades yeah so another topic we wanted to discuss the Second, but but more complete demise of Cube FM uh, is KJR expanded to FM this year and took over that 93.3 frequency. We had the brief period where I think Cube became basically like modern pop music for a period of time. But what was Cube was still on 94.9 FM. So it was still out there, albeit at a lower signal strength and based in Tacoma. So I think more difficult for a lot of people to listen to, but it was out there and then it came back and that was very exciting to those of us who are nostalgic for just turning on cube every day during the summer, during the 1990s and listening to whatever happened to be on there, uh, which was the same 10 songs repeatedly throughout the day, which was exactly what we wanted it to be. And but we now, liked it. <laughs> now cube farewell for good. Uh, and we'll always have Eric Powers on 103.7. That's the Tacoma station uh, that I think you're referring to. Or, no, or it was 94.9 is where the signal went. But okay. 103, yes, uh, 103.7 does still have Eric Powers and does still feature many of those same songs. The exact Shelly Hart is also still going strong on the radio. The On Warm 106.9, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hearing all sorts of that lately. Uh, but <laughs> the Seattle... I would not describe Seattle as a great hip hop town in any way, <laughs> right? This no, isn't fucking Atlanta no. or anything, but Seattle not having a single rap or hip hop station, right? There's pop radio in Seattle, but once Cube was gone, and it's still deeply strange to me to turn on like Thursday night football on 93.3. I, it took me a while to figure out that I had to flip over to FM because I was like, why isn't the NFL on 9.50 a.m.? It's a lot of work, right? You just I mean, want to, you're you're used to trying to go to 950 and hear your close shave America, close shave Barbasol. <laughs> but like the being at 93.3 is very strange. But I I do think again, not saying that Seattle is a hip hop town by any means at all. And I understand that hip hop radio is definitely thriving in other cities throughout the country. I do think Seattle not having a rap hip hop station does matter. For and sure. yeah. it's talking about those, the secondary markets, right? Like the markets where these songs become very, very massive. If you're getting radio airplay for the latest Drake single in Seattle, 
that's how you know that it is fucking huge, right? If you're at Q93 Summer Jam, it is another level of fame versus being in New York and Atlanta and in Chicago. And I think that pop music for more or less the last two decades, I feel like I don't know exactly when the line is or whatever. It's an early 2000s, though, where the line flipped to there wasn't hip-hop and pop music. Hip-hop was pop music. Did right? you point to Crazy in Love is the moment? I think it's before then. Okay. Because I was just looking at... I think uh, it's like the... Nelly. Like whatever... Maybe I mean, that's probably around the similar time. Yeah, it's right? not, not too different. But Nelly, I was looking Nelly at... Nelly and Ashanti. Like when, when those collabs happened, hip-hop became pop music. I was looking at the TRL Wikipedia page earlier, as one does. And... The top 10 songs of all time from TRL, it's boy bands, it's the female singers that were starring in the late 90s, and then it's Crazy in Love was one of their top 10. That's kind of wild. I feel like that's kind of late for TRL. TRL was on the air through 2007 in its original format. Also, came back. I don't know if you were aware of that. Still? I I don't know if it's still, but definitely it came back within the last five years. Okay. Uh, That did not make our music year in review. (laughs) We're going to have to pivot here really quick. Uh, but but you understand my point that hip-hop was pop music. There, there wasn't a difference between the genres. Yeah. Right? It, it was the number one cultural dominant force. And I think that over the last couple of years, that has changed a little bit. Like, what is the biggest hip-hop song that you can think of from this year? I could, I could think of two songs that were very large radio TikTok moments. And maybe TikTok is part of this. I know, give very, me yours. They were glamorous by Jack Harlow, or first class by Jack Harlow, and uh, Super Freaky Girl by Nicki Minaj. Those were the only two that I was like, they broke through to being very, very big pop songs, and also could, if you squinted, they are hip-hop songs. Yeah, I mean, I think to some degree, the distinction doesn't matter as much as it is. It, it, is it might have... 25 years ago because of the fact that pop music has shifted more in that direction. But also I think there's a pretty significant electronic element that has come to dominate pop music. Not as much as there was a decade ago though. Like the electronic element is kind of over also where it was EDM, all pop music was EDM music. And I I think we've also moved away from that. And the, the era of, it's like an R&B song or it's a pop song and then you find somebody to rap on it, right? right? Like that era, it's, it's not gone completely, right? There's the uh, Dua Lipa song that has baby on it. That wasn't from this year. But I do think that there's kind of like, it, and again, maybe it's because of TikTok because TikTok is not as interested in, it's a little bit easier to dance to pop music than it is to rap music. Or whatever. But you look at those records that you were talking about, right? Like the Drake record, the Drake 21 Savage record, it was big. But is there any song from that that really, really stood above anything else? Nope. And I think the artists who could be considered hip-hop that are really, really big is Bad Bunny at this point or somebody like that. So the last topic you had, unbeknownst to me, apparently... New York Sleaze has returned. <laughs> so explain this to me. You're in luck. Well, we're we're at the more or less like the 20 year anniversary of 
early 2000s New York, right? You're familiar with the book Meet Me in the Bathroom? I'm sure I've heard of it. Uh, there's a book, an oral history of like New York, indie rock, the Strokes era, right? The Strokes yep. Interpol era in New York. I'm pretty sure there's a TV show being made about it. And as things go, 20 years on, people start getting nostalgic. For sure. For yeah, it's the right period, right amount of time. And the, I mean, you would be able to note the similarities between like the Strokes and the Harry Styles single that came out. But on a smaller level, this will get a little bit into my top 10. There are a, a large handful of artists in New York that are getting a lot of attention doing music that is very, very similar to Interpol, The Strokes, LCD Sound System. There are a couple of those. And this summer was kind of the summer where, especially in New York, Indie Sleaze returned. What do you I, think I defines it as Sleaze? That's just the name that's been given to it. Okay. But but I do think there's sort of when you hear the song uh <laughs> Girls by the Dare, you're gonna hear what I mean. That's okay. one of the one of the songs from my top ten. And and I think you'll understand what I mean by sleaze. Um uh, it's sort of like that's that's emblematic of this next generation of indie sleaze coming back. I think there's a little bit of of a pushback to the sort of button up indie rock that's happened for the last handful of years, right? Indie rock is overly serious genre and i think on the smaller scale some of those artists are interested in again similar to the early 2000s maybe being a little bit more loose with things rather than being such an overly serious genre okay all right well that was the uh trends you wanted to discuss should we get into my top 10 now okay to introduce your top 10 <laughs> there's only one top 10 that matters Every other top 10, as, as as noted, is indebted to cultural trends, to overarching narratives, right? To timeliness, to hipness, or whatever. ESPN's Kevin Pelton is not interested in any of those things. Literally the only top 10 that in the year 2018 or whatever included a fucking U2 song. That is, that is correct. So to me, I always look forward to your top 10. I never really listen to the songs in it, but I'm always deeply fascinated about the songs. To see what, just what I'm going to pick? Uh, absolutely, to see what you're going to pick, because it again, it is untethered <laughs> to any other top 10 list that may come out. It's you not... might have songs that are in those top 10s. Exactly. You might not. That's, that's the incredible thing about it. It's going to be what, honestly, were my 10 favorite songs to listen to this year. Again, no narratives. No, you work for ESPN, but somehow there's no narrative attached to your top 10 songs here. You don't even know what the narratives would be. I, I, have, I can sometimes guess at them. <laughs> All right, so first uh, one to mention is a rule for my new top 10 list. I'm not going to include that artists you work with uh, to, to not be biased in that regard, but wow, I did definitely want to shout out uh, in particular... Enumclaw and the Save the Baby album and Park Lodge I, was my favorite song off of that one. Park so Lodge. It, it certainly was among my 10 favorite songs, but ineligible for that reason. That's that's the one that's number one for you from Save the it Baby. It is. Wow. I was Over disappointed they didn't Over play it live. Cowboy, Bebop, and Demetron. Yeah. Wow. Again, look, 
striking out on my own. Let's uh, say, again, untethered to the narrative. <laughs> Let's say I, that the band were to play on the uh, uh, New Year's at the Needle. What songs do you think they should play? I feel like Park Lodge, there's two tracks. Not one not, track right before the fireworks and one after. Not the right vibe for New Year's Eve. Okay. <laughs> A little too introspective for that setting, I think. To me, I, I was thinking Cowboy Bebop is the track to go into the fireworks and then Jimmy Neutron after. All right, we'll have to give another listen to the album with that that particular topic in mind. All right, uh, we, we've discussed previously the Midnight's album. Antihero did not come close to making my top 10. Wow. Okay. I, I do have a song on there in the top 10 and also is an honorable mention because one generally one song per artist, Sweet Nothing, was my honorable mention from Midnight's. Uh, also had on here, Best Friends by the Weekend is already mentioned, Take My Breath, my favorite song off of Dawn FM from the weekend. But uh, since that was on my 2021 list, obviously, it oh, is ineligible wow. now. Okay. And the last honorable mention was to the lost track from Haim uh, that came out this year after their album last year, which the beginning sounds a little Sufjan Stevens-esque to me, which is interesting for Haim. All right, into the actual list. Uh, at number 10, speaking of artists, you're not seeing it a lot of top 10s this year. Uh, from Craig Finn, Messing wow. with the Settings. There we go which is a song that really gripped me with the story about uh, uh, basically a eulogy for a an ex-girlfriend and a partner in crime is described on the song. And I, I can't tell you the last time that I had listened to any new Craig Finn music or, or Hold Steady for that matter, but it, I this came across my uh, release radar on Spotify and I truly enjoyed it. The algorithm got you. How many fucking years did I tell you to listen to the Hold Steady and it's you're not just like, I've like never no. listened to the hold steady. I, it wasn't. It was never visceral in in a way. Uh, there never is a toast to Saint Joe's drummer. Uh, Gotta stay positive is one of my all time favorite songs. Okay, so that I dispute song, that, that line is from that song, right? Uh, I think it's from the other one, but I'm not sure. It's the same album. It might be from the first track on the album. All right, at number nine. From Odessa's album, Last Goodbye, which sounded a lot like a farewell, but it's not. Uh, the the song Better Now featuring Morrow was my favorite track off of that one. So Odessa, I think, appeared a few years ago with their, their previous album. All right, number eight. Uh, a, the song Never Ending from Benny, which is outstanding bedroom pop. Inevitably compared a lot to Billie Eilish, given another teenager, and they definitely sound fairly similar. Although I can also understand why Benny would not want that particular comparison. We would this be tired of it. New Zealand pop star. Yep. Yeah. All right, number seven, uh, a recent entry to the list. Uh, that's where I am from Maggie Rogers, who I did not realize until after listening to this and looking it up was the uh, the artist who famously uh, Pharrell listened yes. to yes. one of their tracks at uh, I think it was NYU when when they were much younger. This one uh, from I think second album from Maggie Rogers it feels incredibly it familiar. More than that, I, that's what I thought it said, like the second full length, but. The story was this was written about 
in the, with the idea of it was after watching a Seattle classic, 10 Things I Hate About You, and like wanting to write a song that could be over the soundtrack to a romantic comedy. And it actually succeeds in that regard, but also holds up very much on its own. It's her third album, at least. All right. And then a bunch of things. Alaska is what she kind of like blew up on at first. Yeah. Good God, there's so many versions of that. Number six. Another artist you're not hearing a lot about in top 10 lists in 2022, Bell and Sebastian. <laughs> but from their their new album this year. This is just like an like overview of my favorite artists from the early 2000s. I mean, my fun is for all of Bell and Sebastian's catalog as well established. But uh, from their 2022 album, I, I picked the song Unnecessary Drama, which really, I think, harkens to uh, the the best past Bell and Sebastian in terms of its witty lyrics, catchy tune. It's what the formula that works for them. Uh, number five, another late entrance here for inexplicable reasons but uh uh sidelines which was one of the singles that phoebe bridgers came up with this year uh still haven't seen a a full-length follow-up to uh that album but uh this kind of sounded very much like all of the the earlier stuff that was so great i think there's rumblings that she might return with a different band next year interesting all right number four and I'd go a thousand miles by Montel Fish, who is an artist who, you know, similarly similarly to the Billie Eilish comps for Benny, the inevitable comp here is to Frank Ocean. There's kind of a, a similar sound and style, and I I feel like the guitar riffs at the end of this song specifically sound like John Mayer on Pyramids. So I don't know if that's just a coincidence, but that certainly came to mind immediately for me. Sort of like a Spotify artist, Montel Fish. You tell me. I mean, I I truly I most of these artists that you're talking about, well, I know the artists or whatever, but like I it's stuff that I'm not I'll get into it after. Okay. Number three. I haven't my... heard a single song you've brought up yet. <laughs> well, you'll, you'll certainly have heard this one. Number three, my favorite song off of Midnight's was Karma, which I don't feel like got necessarily a lot of love. I the reviews I read, most people seem to dislike the back half of this <laughs> album, which had I think both of the songs that uh, I considered for my top 10, but uh, Karma was was easily my winner from this album. That was the one I would have certainly heard. You, I mean, you haven't listened to the entire album? All right. Number two, Midnight Sun from Nilia Faryanya, who uh, is someone who has been a fixture, I think, in the, uh, the Pitchfork type top 10s in the past. Uh, the urgency of this beat beat really grabbed me and this i would say surpassed baby love from i think it was 2017 is my yeah, favorite well, yeah. for yanya song did you know that i worked with her back in the day i don't think i did remember that no all right number one the song of the year to me you already mentioned it it's break my soul from beyonce who somehow in 2022 managed to record the greatest early 90s dance song ever made which is great because that is one of my all-time favorite genres. And if you, if the song of the summer wasn't running up that hill, then I think it was Break My Soul. I, I totally agree. Did not it necessarily reach the heights that obviously running up that hill did. When you look at like today's top hits, the pop playlist for Spotify, like Break My Soul is not the Beyonce song that's on the playlist. Wait, it has really? not. Yeah. 
I thought by far that was the biggest song. It it has not it has not moved above every other track from the record in a way that I think for me when I heard it, like Cuff It is on top hits right now. And for me when I heard it, Break My Soul, it's not a song that exists in 2022. So Covet has slightly like it's like a a million more. They're both at two hundred and fifty million, basically. But I and think nothing else on the album is, is over a hundred. This is way too Spotify shit. But like, yes, Break My Soul was originally the track, and if Covet's on top hits, it's getting a hell of a lot more plays than Break My Soul is getting right now. Yeah. But to me, Break My Soul again, it's not a track that exists in twenty twenty two. It's a track that exists in the last. 30 years of pop and dance music and i think that's why it was such a thrilling song to hear and beyonce obviously has been on fire for the last fucking two decades or whatever but like for the last her career but to be able to put out to have the anticipation for a record and have it hit in that way it's a lot of pressure to have to be able to put out a record like that and Beyonce has consistently been able to meet those expectations in every capacity of what she's doing. Without question. So there you go. There's my top 10 songs of the year. Have you not even uh, listened to Bad Habit, though? <laughs> it didn't grab me the same way. Really? No. I heard that shit and I was just like, you did it, Steve. <laughs> We're all very proud of you. You did it. You recorded the best song. Uh, I I feel like pop music wise, that one to me, cash in, cash out, as a hip hop song, didn't necessarily make the the hugest impact or whatever. Uh, but that was the other one where Tyler the Creator, Pharrell, that was that was one that really stood out on the pop side. Okay, so my top ten list. I've gone over this pretty much every single year. My listening habits, I remember having a professor in college and I really, really liked him, like medieval literature, fucking something. And he was like, I would tell people that I'm a literature professor and they would always be like, don't correct my grammar. And he was like, that's not really what I do here. (laughs) He was like, I'm not here to break down and be like, oh, that was a past participle or whatever. And which I did. English degree? No idea what that means. (laughs) So you're a professional writer. You probably don't know either. Uh, I I might be able to define it if I were forced to. But he was like, what I do is I I break down literature and understand what it means, what the greater greater points are or whatever. Right? He's like, I'm not here to get into the nitty gritty. And sometimes I'll talk to people about like new pop music or whatever, or our aunt will be like, what are you listening to lately? And I'm like, I really don't have a good answer for you. I'm sorry. It, it's not like I can just be like, oh yeah, the, all categoric, all of these things are happening, right? The amount of time that I spend listening to popular music is basically zero, especially like big indie music or whatever. If it's already represented in some capacity, I'm like, that's great, right? I'm so happy that that exists. But 95% of my time is spent listening to clients' music, right? Demos and things like that. And then to young artists that already don't have management. That's kind of like the entirety of 
my listening. I wish it was more. I wish I was able to listen to more music in the pop space. But so most of the records, it's part of why I suppose maybe I should have looked at the Pitchfork list, but like why I have no idea. I mean, I wouldn't listen to the Bell and Sebastian record in 2022, but <laughs> I have no idea like what's really going on with Maggie Rogers or whatever, right? Maggie Rogers is extraordinarily successful. That's awesome. It's not a judgment against those artists. It's more just, it's not, I, it's not relevant for me at this point, right? Like, you don't watch basketball anymore, I've heard. So you understand. Well, well it's like uh, why I often am more invested in watching all 30 teams than necessarily the best teams over and over again. I think that's my my version of this. It's me watching the Rockets and the Spurs on Thursday night. So all that is to say... <clears throat> The way that I've wanted to structure the top tens for the last couple of years, because it's it's hard to come up with the ten best songs of the year or whatever. I feel like I don't have a comprehensive enough knowledge to be able to come up with the top ten songs of the year. So wanted to highlight some songs. I'm not necessarily going to say that these are tiny songs, but maybe slightly under the radar, right? You mentioned last year I talked about Turnstile quite a bit, and Turnstile was already a big band. I'm not going to be like, oh yeah. I fucking discovered Turnstile or whatever, right? They'd put out three records on a major label. Like, they were already a very big band. That record was already going up. But the listener might not know in Turnstile. I assume they do now. They've been nominated for many Grammys at this point. But, like, so wanted to highlight some some smaller artists. Somehow the Arcade Fire also nominated for Grammys. Uh, so... Had I had a similar rule for you, again, no clients, because I wouldn't want to uh, choose between them. And again, for biases. Ruled all of those out, except for one. I, I have... <laughs> I have two tracks as a tie number 10, which don't fit either of these criteria. I had tied. I don't know you like I used to by Mercury. National band, fucking incredible. Uh, they released a record when they were, they're still very, very young. This is the client band. They released the song before I was working with them, so I feel more okay with the idea of it. I had nothing to do with the release. It's just such a good song that I, I'm excited about it as a track, excited about the band Mercury, excited about the city of Nashville. It'll come up again. Tied with a song that is not an underground artist in any way, and that's the song Simulation Swarm by Big Thief, which is like, have you heard this track? I don't think I have. Good God! Like, of all... I, again, I, I went out of my way to be like, these. I'm not really paying attention to like large indie rock artists, and for whatever reason, I just listened to this Big Thief record, and this song, Simulation Swarm, it is, I have come back to it over and over and over again. Where I'm like, I just can't even believe. I feel like Big Thief hasn't even really shown up in end of year listening any way significantly. But this track, good God, so good. Okay, so those are my two tracks to uh, go against the rules. I didn't, I didn't order these in any way. I'm going to count them down, but I didn't order them. At number nine, I have the song Kennedy by a band called Feeble Little Horse out of Pittsburgh. I really can't even describe this music. A lot of these bands, I, I don't know if I could super describe the music what it sounds like but um indie pop that has been broken down and made as absolutely weird as possible this song is about the kennedy family which you know i'm all about the kennedys 
So, fucking love this. Uh, I was. This is a new edition. I literally listened to this record today. And I was wow. like, that's it. That is going on here. Uh, yeah, I got pretty excited about this band. Just signed to Saddle Creek Records. They re-released this record. It actually came out, I suppose I'm breaking the rules also, actually came out in 2021. They signed to Saddle Creek and then re-released this record this year. We'll allow it. But, it, I mean, it, again, it was re-released in 2022. Uh, at number eight, I have the song Manhattan Youth by Ben Steller. Uh, spelled B-E-E-N-S-T-L-L-A-R. It is a pun about Ben Stiller. <laughs> Took me way too long to learn that. If you want, if you are a fan of Interpol and The Strokes at the same time, this is the band. I mean, the song's called Manhattan Youth. Like, come on. Uh, saw this band a couple of weeks ago at Barboza, and it was like, literally, the lead singer is like watching young Julian Casablancas. It's like watching Julian Casablancas before he stopped caring. It's actually kind of incredible seeing it. But the backing band is like watching Interpol. So having and maybe a little bit noisier Interpol. Those two things at the same time, I think they're a pretty exciting band in New York, and people are very, very hyped on them. Uh, but seeing them play, I was just like, God damn, I get it. I get why there's the hype. It took me a second, but very, very excited about this one. Uh, at number seven, I have the song Crumbs by Rebecca Black. Do you know who Rebecca Black is? Yes. You're familiar with her? I, I definitely know that name. Rebecca Black became very, very famous as a joke, basically insultingly famous uh, because of the song Friday. Yep. And since then, has completely transformed herself and her career. She's now a hyper-pop artist in sort of like the post-Charlie XCX world. And Rebecca Black just fucking completely owned it. I, I swear to God, what's the, the book about like after your 15 minutes of fame or whatever? Or like, like it's called So You've Been Canceled or something like that. Oh, yes. Rebecca Black has handled this situation better than basically any person on earth has handled the situation. Her and Carly Rae Jepsen, I would say, are kind of like the two. Carly Rae Jepsen, not necessarily a joke or whatever, but like, like bubblegum pop song as her song and for rebecca black it's a joke song but to have to be able to transform her career in that way and be such an exciting artist crumbs is her latest single or only single of 2022 it's so fucking good okay uh the next song this is definitely the smallest group on the list uh, a song called for now by a band called doom mutual doom mutual from nashville tennessee uh, this is a pair of artists trying to do sort of like early 2000s style rock music uh, in a way that what it tr it's like translated through modern perspectives. They have four or five songs out and I just keep coming back to every single Doom Mutual song. I feel like you're going to like this one. Curious to check it out. Next up in the indie sleaze world, the song it, I, in the smallest scale, I would say, became a very, very big deal this summer. And that's the song Girls by the Dare. One artist actually from, initially, Seattle, Washington. He's an old school NPSH head. Uh, and moved to New York, has been there wearing a suit. This is the closest thing that you're going to get to young LCD sound system in the year 2022. And it's in like, it's in conversation with 2022 dialogue but also in a certain perspective like direct opposition to it right mm. this is this is not a like buttoned up like 
indie rock song. It's a song about all the different types of girls he likes, but also translated through the 2022 perspective. His one song out is going to be a huge fucking deal. Okay. This is one that if I were to bet on any of this artist from the list, again, like Turnstile last year, I mean, I think Wednesday was on the list that I had last year and they've signed to Dead Oceans throughout the year. Like they're, they're, This is the one that I would count on being probably the biggest artist at this point next year. Uh, and he was on, I think, the cover of like the New Yorker or whatever. There's like a New Yorker cover with Paul Rudd on it, and he's in it. Like it, it's it's gonna be a thing. Next up is the song "I Haunt Your Dreams" by Hey Nothing. Uh, at the intersection of pop punk and folk rock and indie rock, this is one of those tracks where Are those things that intersect. They intersect. They intersect right there with Hey Nothing. Uh, this is one of those songs where you hear it and you're just like, and TikTok music, you're just like, God damn, why is that band working with somebody already? You know, like where, where you just want it so bad and are so excited about what they're doing. I think this is the one to me, this and the number one song that I have, were the two tracks where I was just like, oh my God. Uh, I was struck by them in like listening to it on a playlist or whatever. I am turned back, but turned off by the fact that it's your, you are dreams in the title. Isn't it Y R? No, it's U R. Yeah. Oh, okay. I take it. Take it back. They're gone. <laughs> no. Uh, at number three, I have the song Why by a band called Chat Pile. Uh, got quite a bit of hype this summer because they got a best new music from Pitchfork. Um, uh, super super sludgy band, hardcore band, and this track in particular was the one that stood out to me the most. It's about why people have to live on the streets and really you're listening to it you're just like yeah dude i you're on to some shit here like i think both the message of it and then the sludgy nature of it this is the year like we're in the post turnstile year or whatever i think the coolest genre on the face of the earth is hardcore music and i wouldn't exactly say that chat pile is a hardcore band but what they're doing and making sludgy loud music and having it be cool and accessible is it's it's kind of what's next in music uh and also to go along with the number two song pressure cooker by the band military gun featuring daisy collectively with daisy uh military gun like kids who were in a bunch of hardcore bands back in the day ended up being in a little bit more accessible of a rock band teamed up with daisy for a very vibey track they ended up signing to loma vista which is like St. Vincent's record label, Ghost record label, very, very big one, started, founded by uh, uh, Tom Wally, who like originally signed Tupac. So I think Military Gun is about to do huge things in this world. Hopefully they they maintain, again, s similar to Turnstile, they're like probably the band who has the chance of being both heavy and accessible and popular at the same time. They're the most likely band to be in a Taco Bell commercial. <laughs> I'll, I'll be sure to check that out. Chad Pyle is not going to be in a Taco Bell commercial. But Military Gun might be in a Taco Bell commercial. And at number one, frustratingly good, uh, is the song Take Back by Odie Lee. O-D-I-E-L-E-I-G-H. Uh, everything that Odie Lee has done, I think they're from Atlanta, is what I want to guess. Um, this was a relatively recent discovery. This track came out a couple of weeks ago. And her catalog is fucking phenomenal. It's... Uh, folk music 
and uh, bluegrass music at the same time. Pretty different than almost anything else on this list. And this song, Take Back, I it's one of those tracks that I turn it on and I just listen to over and over and over and over again. And then I listen to all the other songs. I was like, damn, they're good. And then I came back to it and I listened to it over and over and over again. Uh, I think, again, who knows? Who knows what the future holds? But this song, maybe more so than almost anything else that I heard, outside of client track or something that was really, really huge was the track that got me the most excited of any song all year. And again, it is heavily influenced by bluegrass. So this is way outside of anything else that was on here. I think this track and the Hey Nothing track were ones where I was like, good God, okay. Unlike almost anything else I've heard, right? Ben Stiller sounds like things I've heard. Feeble Little Horse sounds like things I've heard. The Dare sounds like things I heard. This to me was something absolutely brand new. And it, it's doing really, really well right now in the Spotify world. But I, I just, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get off this podcast and listen to it again. <laughs> That's the biggest uh, endorsement I think you can possibly offer here. Did you get all those? I, I think I got, I think I got all but one. Which, which did you miss? Uh, the your artist. I don't think I, I was keeping track. Oh, Mercury. Yet. I don't know you like I used to by Mercury. Yeah. So we'll have those playlists up on the uh, on the post notes so that you can in, in share those as well on Twitter so that uh, everyone can be sure to listen along with our top tens and hopefully you can enjoy some music discovery as well. Uh, and is that it for the year in music? I think it pretty much is. All right. Unless you've got any bold predictions for 2023 music. I mean, you already did make some bold predictions, sort of. Uh bold predictions <laughs> i have no bold predictions uh i think i think the only thing that is predictable is how unpredictable life is many artists Which, who except for that that metallica date in 2024 <laughs> that's, that's the, the one constant we can rely on well i guess that's it i mean i should say this was my best and favorite year working in music ever uh, being able to work with illuminati hotties michael sayer lunar vacation pink shift eliza mcclam uh, Matthias Mora, Enumclaw, Mercury, Almeny from Great Grandpa. It, it was such an awesome year. And I literally this year was able to go to New York City to see Enumclaw open for a sold-out show with Toro Moi, and then fly the, ver the best city in the entire world, New York City in the summer when it's hot, and then fly from there to Nashville, Tennessee to see the sold-out Hannah Cole show the best city in the entire world and then be able to go to in the fall Baltimore Maryland easily the best city in the world and see a sold out pink shift show follow the next night in Baltimore at the auto bar with Illuminati hotties and Enum Claw Olivia Barton supporting the best city in the entire world and then come back home and finish that tour with Illuminati Hotties, Enum Claw, and Eliza McClam in Seattle the Saturday before Thanksgiving. Were well, you not going to call really Seattle the best city in the world? The absolute, undisputed, mid-market champion, best city in the world. Yeah, I was at that show that uh, you had all three acts on the bill <laughs> with uh, Eliza McClam and Enum Claw opening for Enum Claw for Illuminati hotties. It was an awesome crowd. It, you mentioned that 2021 was the return of live music. Not for me. I happened not to go to any shows in 2021 just as it worked out. 
this year was my first time going back to venues and, and being there. And it was really an awesome experience. And I kind of forgot how much I had missed having that opportunity and during the course of the pandemic. So that that was really a lot of fun. I mean, the Illuminati Hotties show at Numos in March, the second that the mask mandate ended was that <laughs> night, right? I didn't remember It was that. midnight of that night that the mask mandate ended. And I think the band finished at like 1230 or whatever. So it ended. No, it wasn't that set. late, was it? It definitely ended during their set at a sold out Numos, uh, which was a pretty fun experience. Because that was <laughs> my the- first show since... I don't think I had gone to one in 2020, so it's since probably 2019. So you waited from before the mass mandate started until the very last second of the mass mandate to go to a show. And and wore my mask the entire time, to be clear. It was worth it. Uh, (laughs) uh, But to be able to follow that up with a Neptune theater show, my first ever show with the headlining band for Neptune. Uh, Again, the Pink Shift show at Barbosa that you also were at. And yep. Also great. Sold out at Barbosa. Packed, I mean, that was sweaty, exciting. That was some of the the most. It, it was slam dancing in the crowd. It was it was great to not be a part of, but to see. <laughs> you didn't see me go in the pit for Enum Claw in Seattle. I did miss that. Yes. Uh, and then finishing it all up this year with uh, Enum Claw in their hometown of Tacoma at Alma on Saturday night. Eliza McClam going to her hometown in Carborough, North Carolina for two sold-out shows. Pink Shift in Long Island, returning to Long Island for a sold-out show in Long Island. So uh, everybody finishing the year at home, which is very exciting. And it's been an awesome year. And for me, next year also is exciting. I know that I'm going to be at Pitchfork Fest, having a band confirmed at Pitchfork Fest over the summer having a band confirmed for Reading and Leeds over the summer, Primavera Fest over the summer. Uh, pretty exciting stuff on, on the table for 2023 already. Well, I can't wait to discuss it in our music year in review 2023, 12 months from now. Uh, until then, thanks for listening. Thanks.